We are continuing our series called Lessons Learned, and we are talking about different things that I've picked up over the years. And this week, we're going to look at one of the things that was one of the big changes in my life based on me believing in the Bible as an authority over me. And so this week, we're going to talk about the relationship of the believer and the body of Christ, the large group, the church, you know, capital C, worldwide church. And today's sermon is called, Called to Belong. So as I came to believe in Jesus, then I had to figure out how I fit in with the church and with other believers, because I didn't have any other believer contacts. You know, I mean, I had a girlfriend that was a Christian that I'd been dating for like a month or two. I mean, that's basically it. I didn't have a connection with the Christians, you know, and I didn't really see myself as one of them. And so I had trouble trying to figure out who I was because I looked at the Christian people and I thought, yeah, I'm not one of them. Uh, What am I? You know, and I, I thought, well, I'm just a normal person who believes in Jesus. You know, that's how I like to think about myself, you know, because I just didn't think I was one of them. You know, I didn't fit in with them. They didn't understand me. I didn't understand them. I was a normal person who believed in Jesus. And besides, you know, personality wise, as a bit of a loner, you know, kind of a free thinker that avoided crowds whenever possible. And so the, the idea of participating with a bunch of other people in the things of God, it just was sort of difficult for me. It was awkward and it didn't fit my personality and it was just kind of strange. But again, as I came to believe in the Bible as authoritative, as a guide for me, then it became quite clear as I read the Bible that big group participation is not optional for the believer. We are all called to participate and to bear fruit for the kingdom of God together. We're called to come together. So I made a shift. I went from kind of the the loner person who sort of was evaluating everything and trying to figure it out to someone who said, well, I need to participate. I need to come in. I need to belong. I chose to belong, even though it didn't feel right. It felt weird. I felt like I didn't fit in. But I just was like, well, this is what the scriptures say. I chose to belong. You know, the way I like to say it is church didn't bring me to Jesus, but Jesus brought me to church. You know, I found Jesus or Jesus found me, however you want to say that. And then Jesus said, you know what? It's time for you to go to church. It's time for you to be part of the body, to participate and work together with others to bear fruit for the kingdom. So the first scripture that really hit me as I was going through the scriptures to to see what's going on, and the one that hit me with regards to whether or not I should really jump into the faith is the gospel of John chapter 17, where Jesus is praying for the believers that are to come. And this is something that Jesus prays, John 17, 20 through 23. And if Jesus is praying, I mean, man, you know, His prayers are powerful, but also what's the heart behind it? Let's read this. This is Jesus praying and he says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So I'm thinking, hey, this is for me. I'm someone who will believe in the future because the gospel's gone forth into the world. He's praying for me. So I kept reading. 
that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So I was like, wow, Jesus is praying for us. He doesn't pray for us to be protected from persecution. He doesn't pray for us to have long life and health. He doesn't pray for us in ways that I would have expected. He prays for us to stand together, to be unified and as unified as the father and the son, as Jehovah God, the father and Jesus, the son of God, their unity is how Jesus prayed that the believers on earth would be unified. And it just was like, wow, it was shaking. Like he wants us to be together. So Jesus prayed for the unity of all believers Should I abstain from that or oppose that? Of course not. And then what's the result? You know, Jesus twice in here, he states the result of that in the prayer. And the result is that the world will know. You know, if we stand together, the world will know that God sent Jesus. They will know, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son He gave his one and only son that whosoever would believe would not perish, but have everlasting life. This is an important thing. This is worth it. You know, being part of the group has its hassles, but it's worth it. Because if we stand together, then the truth will be known. The world will know that God sent Jesus and that he loves those who love him, who serve him. So, That was a very important scripture that captured me at the beginning. And then also I was looking at Acts chapter two, as I kept on going just a couple pages later, Acts chapter two, we see the birth of the early church. And a couple weeks ago, when we talked about baptism, we talked that Peter, after he preached on the day of Pentecost, told people to get baptized. And then the church really began the new Testament church added 3,000 people to a couple hundred maybe. What was the group like? And that we see described in Acts chapter two. We'll pick it up with what we read a couple weeks ago and we'll follow it through into what happened there in the early, early church. So we'll start in Acts two, verse 38. Peter replied, so he's preaching to them and they're like, what should we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So they counted them and uh, they were added in to the group. What did they do? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. 
They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So what did they devote themselves to? This is just a beautiful picture. I mean, everybody thought it was awesome. Even the outsiders thought something good was going on. You know, they had uh, the people saying good things about them. But verse 42 really digs into what the early church devoted themselves to. And there's four things listed there. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This for us would be to the Bible and specifically the New Testament. You know, the apostles were teaching the things that would later be written down as the New Testament scriptures. And so that's the apostles teaching. Of course, the Old Testament is important as well. A lot of the apostles teaching reference the Old Testament. So it's all tied together, but more specifically the New Testament. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. What does that mean? That means they devoted themselves to each other, to the group, to the connection that they had as believers in Jesus, as the Messiah, as people who believed the way, that Jesus was the way. They devoted themselves to each other, to fellowship, to connecting with one another, to building the bond of fellowship as believers. That's one of the things they devoted themselves to. They also devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. I read a few different commentaries about this because I wasn't sure, okay, is this talking about the Eucharist or Holy Communion? Is this talking about fellowship meals? You know, what is it? It's probably all of the above. Everything from meals that were there for the public, you know, kind of like soup kitchen type things. If somebody's hungry, come and eat to fellowship meals, even in their own homes with small groups of people. And certainly an acknowledgement of the, the body and the blood of Christ in the midst of that. Cause back then sometimes the large group meals had Holy Communion tied into them. So it would have been all of that together, but a big piece of that is connection with each other, the breaking of bread, not individually, but bringing groups of people together to connect with each other and worship God together. And then of course, prayer. They devoted themselves to prayer. And my only note on that is, well, duh. Of course they devoted themselves to prayer. So uh, the scriptures, each other, the breaking of bread, which is worshiping together uh, and fellowshipping too, and then prayer. This is what they devoted themselves to. And these are very, very powerful, good things. So this definitely paints a picture of a united group of people serving Jesus together. This is just how it's supposed to work. The group of believers worshiping God together with a tremendous connection. Then the first letter from Paul to the believers in the city of Corinth really sealed the deal for me. Uh, The Corinthians were failing at answering Jesus' prayer from John 17. They were not unified. Now, of course, in today's world, we are much worse (laughs) than the Corinthians were. We are way more divided than they were, but we can learn some significant lessons from looking at 1 Corinthians. So I want to start Uh, by reading 1 Corinthians chapter 1, a few verses, and chapter 3, a few verses. And this will show us uh, the problem with the division that was going on in the church, what that looked like, and then 
how we should walk with God in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 10 through 13 says this, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household, have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas, which is Peter. And still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? Is Christ divided? The answer is no, except we have divided Christ. Spiritually, Christ is not divided. Practically, people divide. So they were doing that in Corinth. Of course, we see that much more aggressively in today's world. Then we jump to chapter three of 1 Corinthians 1 through 4 says, Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? And of course, we hear that excuse a lot. Well, I'm just a man. I'm just a person. We're not supposed to be. We're supposed to be children of God. We're supposed to be temples of the Holy Spirit, bringing the good things of God to this world. We're supposed to be citizens of heaven, not mere human beings, you know, blown this way and that by their lusts and desires and their thoughts. We're supposed to be followers of the Holy Spirit of God, bringing ambassadors for Christ to this world. We're not supposed to just be people who argue and fight with each other. That's not who we're supposed to be. So we see that Paul calls out the believers in Corinth for being divided. Christ is not divided, so we must not be either. Then in chapter 12, Paul makes it very clear how we should do this. Chapter 12 is just magnificent. If you haven't spent a lot of time in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, then I encourage you to read that a few times over, uh, over the next week or two, and then read chapter 13, because it all ties together. Of course, everything flows, but chapter 12 is just so, so important in understanding this. So I encourage you to read 1 Corinthians chapter 12 a whole bunch of times. It starts with the individual spiritual gifts given to people. So like you and I, as followers of Christ, we have certain abilities. Some of them might be things that we're born with, and some of them might be things that the Lord just quickens to us. We all of a sudden can do something we couldn't do before. And these are wonderful, fun things, and that's discussed here at the beginning of chapter 12. So let's start with reading verses 1 through 11, and that's the setup for the rest of the chapter. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. 
to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. So if you've been a Christian for very long, you've probably taken a spiritual gifts assessment, and they're talking about different spiritual gifts. And I just want to mention this a little bit. You know, it's just talking about us, what abilities, talents, giftings do I have from God? And looking at verse seven, it says, now to each one, the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. So why do we have these abilities, these talents? Maybe we're quickened to be able to do something. It's for the group effort. It's for the common good. We are given gifts to help the group effort. You and I are carriers of these gifts, but the gifts are not for you and they're not for me. We bring them to the table for the group effort. So don't leave the gift at home. It's not for you. You got to bring it to church with you. And then the church's job is to worship God, to make disciples and to evangelize the world. This is what the church does. When we all come together, we bring our gifts together. This is what we can do. Then the rest of this chapter talks about how we are to work together. So let's dig into uh, the rest of this chapter 12. And I want to look at five lessons, five lessons, and then the most common failure in today's Christianity to put this into practice. First Corinthians 12, 12 through 14. And it says this, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its parts form one body. So it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. So lesson number one, there is one body. There is one body. What does that mean? That means that you are either in or you are out. There aren't choices. (laughs) You don't... Choose which body of Christ you are in. You are either in the body or you are out because there is only one. Now you can be in a part of the body or a different part of the body, but you're either in or you're out. There's no choice. What's the biggest mistake? The biggest mistake I see in today's Christianity is that people don't seem to have read that. (laughs) Like it's completely ignored. The idea that we are one, all of the people who are Christians are one body seems to be ignored. You know, as we read earlier, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas, I follow Christ. It's like, I'm Catholic, I'm Lutheran, I'm Presbyterian, I'm Baptist, I'm Evangelical, I'm Pentecostal. It's like we're putting ourselves into these subgroups when the whole point of what Paul is saying here is, no, it's not about subgroups. It's not about the one who's following Paul or the one who's following Apollos. It's about following Christ because Christ is not divided. So we don't put ourselves in these subcategories. And it seems that in today's Christianity, that's just been completely ignored. I, I just think that's amazing. That seems to not have been read. <laughs> so if you attend Good Hope Church, You are not a good hoper. You know what I mean? Like your identity in Christ isn't through Good Hope Church. 
your church you attend, the denomination that your church is part of should not be your identity in Christ. You are a Christian. You are a follower of Jesus. And the church is a tool. Denominations are tools that are used in the greater body of Christ. And so that's how it's supposed to be. Your identity in Christ must not be in your church or denomination, but simply in Christ because there is one body. So there's a lot more I could say about that, but I just want to lay it out there. There is only one body. Don't ignore that. Point number two, you belong even if you don't feel like it. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 12, 15 through 20. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. So if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. This had a huge impact on me because I did not feel like I fit in. I looked at the Christian world and I'm like, I'm not like these people. I am very different from these people. Uh, I don't understand what they're saying. They're using words. I don't know what they mean. They think very different from me. I'm not one of them, so I don't belong. What this says is, yeah, you're not one of them, but you still belong if you're a believer in Jesus. I didn't feel like I belonged, but this told me I was wrong, so I changed. And I just decided, okay, well, the Bible says I belong. I'm going to go belong. That's the way it's supposed to be. What's the biggest mistake along these lines? Self-exclusion from the body. You look at the body and you think, I'm not like that. I'm not like that. I don't know where I fit. I'm going home. And you self-exclude. It's difficult to intentionally belong when you don't fit or when everybody's different from you. And I, I feel you because man, I did not fit in. <laughs> I was not normal uh, as far as Christians are concerned, you know? Uh, and it was awkward. It was difficult, but don't self-exclude because you don't fit. I had to realize it wasn't a choice. I was drafted into the body of Christ. Now, of course I chose the assemblies of God. You can choose kind of like certain things in that but uh, you've got some choices. But the main point here is don't be a Lone Ranger Christian. You can't just go off on your own and self-exclude and think that you're serving God. You got to be part of the body. There's a lot of different ways to do that, but don't self-exclude. Point number three, they belong even if you don't get them, even if you don't understand them. First Corinthians 12, starting in verse 21, 21 through 25 says this, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while the presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. So the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and so on. So they belong even if you don't get them. Now, this presupposes, you know, this assumes that the individual is an actual believer in Jesus. You know, we go back to 12, 3. If you're speaking by the Spirit and you say, Jesus is Lord, then you're in. 
There's lots of different types of people who honestly worship Jesus. We're all one big group, even if you don't get them. Like the evangelical world doesn't understand the high church world and the robes and the, and the candles and the liturgies and stuff. And they just think that's weird. Well, guess what? If they're followers of Jesus, they're in. They're part of the body, even if you don't get them. And to the evangelical world, you might not get the holy rollers, you know? You might not get why they're swinging from the chandeliers, but guess what? If they believe in Jesus, if if they're speaking by the Spirit saying Jesus is Lord, they're part of the body. But there might be parts of the body you just don't understand and you can't exclude them. So the biggest mistake with that, there's really two, is division and then exclusion. So with division... This is basically where all the eyes of the body get together, form a denomination and have different churches that all see things the same way and all the feet get together and uh, all the hands get together, you know, and self-separate and divide into different denominations and different churches. And that's a disaster. We need to work together, come together. And then the other big mistake is exclusion, And this might be from the local church perspective, you know, placing inappropriate roadblocks in people's way, often unintentionally, you know, clicky insider stuff can keep people out. If you attend Good Hope and you see somebody you don't know and you just ignore them, you know, like that's not okay Uh, because people come to church and they want to find out if God cares and if anybody else cares and we have to be friendly to them. If we're not, that's clicky, exclusive behavior. We have to notice them and care. So They belong, even if you don't get them, don't fail this by buying into division or buying into the exclusion of the individual. That's the third one. The fourth one is a big deal. We succeed or fail together. 1 Corinthians 12, 26 and 27. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. So there is the body. There's one body. We're all, all believers are part of that and we succeed or fail together. If one part suffers, it damages the whole group. If one part is honored, then the whole group is honored. We succeed or fail together. This is a team. You can't win the game as a player if your team loses the game. It's just that simple. Now, this team, we call the body of Christ, has its problems, you know, Uh, but there's only one team. You're on the team, so you got to help the weak players. You know, you got to be part of making it better. The big mistake, of course, is competition between team members. So if we're on one team, We need to fight to win together, but what happens is we fight between each other and try to beat people on the same team. That competition between team members, this can be territorialism, this can be competition between churches or denominations, this can be siloing uh, of ministries inside of churches, a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. It's just a simple fact. Jesus said that, but this happens all the time and it's quite disturbing. Again, this isn't my opinion. I'm reading this right out of the Bible. We succeed or fail together because there is one body. And if there's one body, that body is either winning or that body is got problems. And we need to not be fighting on the inside because then we'll lose. 
Are we winning as Christians in America? I don't think we are. I think we're losing. And so we need to work together to win together. First four, and then we'll get to the last one. There is only one body. You belong even if you don't feel like it. They belong even if you don't get them. And we succeed or fail together. Let's get to the last one because this might be seeming pretty challenging. You know, you might be thinking, yeah, but those people are wrong and you shouldn't be doing it this way and whatever. You got all these things going on in your head. I don't like those people. Okay, this might be challenging for you. Thankfully, this one more lesson is the most important one. And lesson number five from 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is this. The glue that holds all of this together is love. Let's read the rest of the chapter, starting in verse 28. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. And then chapter 13, the most excellent way is the way of love. And Paul says, it doesn't matter how gifted you are, how fantastic your spiritual gifts are, how many things you've accomplished for the kingdom of God. None of that matters if you don't love other people. It just doesn't matter without love. Love is the glue that holds all of this together. And so if we're not looking at all of this through the lens of love, the love God has for us, the love we return to God, and then how that builds into love for others, if we don't see it through that, then none of this is going to make any sense. So if you're just a religious person, but you don't love God, then let's just change that today. (laughs) Let's become a person who loves God, who in your heart, you've opened your heart to God. And then that love grows. It grows into understanding who you are and a security and a peace in your heart, understanding who you are in the eyes of God. And then you love God back and it gives you the ability to love your brothers and sisters in Christ, to love your neighbor, to love even your enemies. This is how it's supposed to be. We receive of the love of God. We love God back and then we learn to love others. If we can do that, that's the glue that holds this together. What's the biggest mistake? Of course, the biggest mistake is not loving. It's ignoring the greatest commandment. We'll finish off here with Mark 12. Mark 12, 28 through 31 is uh, the greatest commandment. Jesus is asked a very important question. I love this section of scripture. So let's read this and we'll close in prayer. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one answered Jesus is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So we must not ignore the greatest commandment to love God, which of course he first loved us. We're just loving him back. We have to love God, know God. When you get to know God, the natural response is to love God. 
You know, you might think God hates you and he's super mad at you and whatever. That's baloney. God loves you. You got to get to know him. Then he's going to start to change some things in your heart. And one of those things he's going to change is your false narratives about different groups of people. And you're going to stop hating people because you're going to understand the love God has for you and the love God has for them. But the biggest mistake is ignoring the greatest commandment to love God and to love your neighbor. I've actually had professing Christians argue with me about this, you know, like, oh yeah, but those people are so rotten. We can't love them. Don't argue about the greatest commandment to love God and love your neighbor. This is who we are. So as believers, I want to close in prayer and let's pray to have our hearts opened to love God and to love others, because that's the glue that holds all of this together. And if you're not a believer, if you don't know God, then I want to pray that you would open your heart to know the love God has for you, because that's what turns us to him. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, for each one that is a a Christian, a professing believer in Jesus, Lord, open our hearts to love you and to love others. This is the glue that holds it all together. It doesn't make sense from mere theological and religious perspectives, but Lord, we must have a heart of love. Lord, soften our hearts that we may love you even after having gone through so many hardships and difficulties, that we may love you with a a soft-hearted, beautiful love, and that we may be able to love others as you love them. As you first loved us, now we love you. Help us to first love them. Help us to be like you in love. If you don't know Jesus, Lord, I pray for those that their hearts would be open to know the love you have for them, that they would reject the lies that you are angry and mean and cruel and just want to hurt and want to restrict. But Lord, that your love is amazing and boundless and beautiful. And so Lord, open each heart to know the love you have for them. And then I do pray that that love would be reciprocated, that they would love you back, seeking freedom from the past, forgiveness and redemption, and pledging to walk with you and learning your ways. And Lord, for all of us, help us to stand together because there is one body. Help us to participate and bear fruit for your kingdom together. In Jesus' name, amen.